Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In the shadows of the bright lights of Las Vegas, it's a last call for a beloved dive bar known as the Roaring Twenties. That's the premise, at least. The reality is as unread as the world of the regulars are escaping from. Bloody nose, empty pockets is a mosaic of desperate lives, teetering between dignity and debauchery, reckoning with their past as they face an uncertain future, and singing as their ship goes down. The film is called Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, and we're joined today by the co-directors of that film, and that would be Bill Ross and Turner Ross. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks, Mike. Thank you so much. Hopefully you can hear us all right in this time of Zoom calls. <laughs> yes, thank you. Congratulations on this film for a lot of reasons. It's really um, an interesting character watch, as well as some interesting things you did to audiences' expectations. The word I'm trying to get to is you play with some formats here, some, some genres here. Um, I'll start with you, uh, Bill. How would you describe uh, the film to someone who has no idea what we're talking about, beyond the basic synopsis? <laughs> well, how much, how much time would they have? <laughs> what, kind of, what, kind of, what kind of meet-up scenario would this be? I, I mean, I would, say, I would say, you know, just like you said, it's the last night of the closing dive bar on the outskirts of Las Vegas. Check it out. We can talk about it afterwards. <laughs> okay. Well, that, well, that's okay. I'll take. I'll run with that because I found out in reading about the film that it's different than what I thought it was, uh, and so I, I assume that was part of your calculation in in making the film. And also, Sundance had a little bit to do with spinning the expectations of the film in some direction. So, uh, Turner, do you want to just sort of? either one of those topics you want to want to jump on there yeah we are still certainly reeling from the programming choices uh of, uh, <laughs> of our our beloved uh people who get these things out into the world but you know there there is a nonfiction community uh, that has supported us in, in the way that we work and we're very grateful for that and there's certainly a tradition within that world uh to work uh, in ways that have inspired us, which aren't necessarily uh, under the purview of journalism. Uh, we come together uh, with these handmade movies, these very independent films that we make together, uh, not with uh, a genre profile in mind, but with an idea. And when we express our ideas to each other, we then go into how best to execute them, how best to articulate them. And for us, that's been mining natural resources, uh, working with non-actors, working with real locations, really looking to the world and saying, "What, uh, what is, what is it that you wish wish to uh, to convey?" With this film, we 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 had you know a lot of ideas um, about where it wanted to be, about who it wanted to include, about uh, creating a space that was um, that was open to people and and a space that was also deeply familiar to experiences that we've had. And we chose to make it in a certain way. We chose to create the space. We chose to fill the place with participants that we felt brought a degree of authenticity to the archetypes that they portrayed. For the most part, those are not actors. They're real people who exist in the world. Uh, that is a bar that really does exist in the world, although not necessarily in the way that we portray it. 
but our interest was was not in the singularity of experience but uh, or the specificity of experience but in something that was more universal so even while this is a singular story we wanted something that that opened a door to other people to engage with as well so you know is it authentic i i feel it's absolutely authentic are some of those human moments that people are going through very deeply real absolutely is there also a conceived structure absolutely and we're not shy about that uh and so on one hand uh you know we may be perceived as deviants from um <laughs> uh, from the prosaic ideas of nonfiction, but i think we also fit uh fit just fine into a, a tradition of people who really didn't give a damn about uh, what the concerns were of uh, categorization. And you know, you're right. And the, the lines between nonfiction and fiction, storytelling and film have been blurring for a long time. And Forever. I want to go back to somebody like a Cassavetes, who yeah. in many ways feels like his films, at least to an audience that was used to a certain style of yeah. narrative film, would have thought that that was a, a documentary would have thought that they were, we were looking to the lives of people who we were just meeting in, yeah. a, in this particular place. There's other filmmakers out there. I think Tim Sutton with his films, uh, Memphis, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dark Knight. I think to me, it feels like Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets is certainly within that wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. And being fair. Sure, absolutely. You know, I, um, you know, the Cassavetes comparison, uh, you, you know, like every every movie is a documentary, you know, if, if you really boil it down, some people are being more performative than others. Some people are deciding to uh, present to you a play, you know, it, it, the the meter changes. But what I'm, I'm curious, like in 100 years, what what folks are going to be making and like if they're still going to be tolerant of a script yeah. of of playing pretend. So I, I just don't know, and you know, but like, I I love everything uh, you know across the spectrum, and this is just, yeah. and certainly we take influence from Cassavetes, but we also you know we we take uh, for this one in particular we took uh, influence from um, On the Bowery, and right. what we learned while reading about On the Bowery. Uh, or, you know, after, you know, having watched it many times over the years, we went back and looked at reviews for On the Bowery. And if you just took On the Bowery out of the review and replaced it with Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, the reviews were exactly the same. So the dialogue around the films hasn't changed. Right. And the, uh, you know, the, the, the means of production to get to an end of how to tell a story maybe they've changed. I don't know. We're not doing anything new. Uh, but we're telling the story in the way in which we want to. Right. And it's, and at the end of the day, it's about good storytelling. It's about an arc of a story. It's an arc of a people in this particular bar, the Roaring Twenties. Exactly. There's another film you mentioned on the, Bow the Bowery film, um, The Exiles. I don't know if you've oh. ever seen that. So this feels huge, like... Huge, in, huge influence on, on this film. Yeah. But, uh, but on all actually all the films. films. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, and I look at Chapatulis and I, it feels like this is just basically Chapatulis with a with a few professional actors involved. Yeah, that, and you are totally right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. well, let's, I, I, I think we've sort of laid out what the film is about, but maybe it, it would uh, serve us well to review just slightly a little bit of that. And by the way, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with the co-directors of a new film called Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. And that would be Bill 
Ross and Turner Ross. Um, and the film follows the last day of the bar, The Roaring Twenties, set in Las Vegas. It feels so real. I mean, in the sense that uh, I used to play a lot of men's league softball and going to bars with these guys was exactly like this. Oh, yeah. At the end of the two and a half hours post-game celebration, this is exactly what it was like. (laughs) So so for me, watching it, I just, the characters sort of pop up. And, you know, one of the things about being in a bar uh, with a little bit of music in it is as the, the pitch, the sound of a bar gets louder and louder, the drunker people get. And, you know, and this film has everything like that in it. It's, it's, yeah, it's so well observed, I guess, this is the point I'm trying to make here. Um, I know the film was shot in a, and I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, about an 18 hour time frame, right? Yeah, Making that's the true. Film. Yeah. What were some of the technical challenges um, that you, you faced in making a film like this? And Turner, if you want to take that, or whoever, however you want to divide that one up. What are the what are the bigger challenges in putting in having cameras in the right place, the audio, all the different things that you're trying to trying to do? Yeah, it's two it's two tiered. I mean, there's a production aspect, and then there's a, a post production aspect, which I'll let Bill speak to. I mean, certainly, if we've done well here, it's because we've done our research, both as people and filmmakers. I mean, we've spent time in these places, and. And hopefully everybody finds their way into it, whether that's because you played softball or whatever your point of entry is, hopefully you can find it. In a production aspect, you know, we had this, we had this conceit of how we wanted to execute it, but we didn't know if it would work. We knew that we wanted to, you know, for lack of a better word, I guess, stage the thing, but that hopefully within it, it would be dynamic enough that we would be surprised. And so that our big role in that would be there to receive it uh, and, and to be good observers of it. You know, no matter how well we understand this, no matter how well we can set up a scenario and know what to look for and hope for and, uh, and build towards, it still had to transpire. And it still had to be there for us to receive. And so that, that was a major aspect of it, just in a theoretical, uh, from a theoretical point of view. But then also, how do you, Mike, a space with 22 different characters over the course of a primary 18 hour shoot that we're gonna build off of and, uh, and, and try to make seamless and linear and, and move from one conversation to another and, and feel, be able to feel like you can um, flit around the room with your stream of conscious and be, be privy to everything. How do we light it without it seeming like a, a stage and look like a bad bar scene in a movie, which is most of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you ever notice how Bars and movies just look so unnatural. <laughs> oh, and not inviting at all. You know, so, you know, so, so that, that was a that was a big deal. It's just how how do how do we set it up to knock it down? How do we technically capture it well enough to get to a space where we build to to Bill, who's our editor, and um, and and then and then we could say, well, you know. Bill, we, we really set that up so well, and I'm so glad we did all that pre-production and really thought this through. This should be super easy. You just do it end to end and uh, cut out the bad stuff, and we'll be good to go. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, uh, that's all editing is. It's just uh, <laughs> cut out point, the bad point B and cut out the bad stuff, and there you go. Our jobs are... Well, um. <laughs> well, because I do want to talk to you, but I was going to ask, thank you. You led beautifully into the next question, but I... <laughs> I wanted to ask you about sort of the 
it's it's scripted, but it couldn't have been completely scripted to go where the different places it goes because in in any given moment you're switching to another scenario that may last a couple of minutes, it may last 30 seconds. It to be able to keep that through line in telling the story had to be a huge challenge to kind of maintain some continuity between the different characters and the different stories that they were telling in pieces. Sure, for sure. I mean, nothing's scripted. So we, I mean, we are at the mercy of what we captured. So did you not have notes at all? Oh, sure. Notes. Yes. But like, there's no, you know, there's no script with dialogue and scene changes. Okay. It was massive. But tons and tons of, you know, years of notes and uh you know our we're here in our office i mean it's just like our walls papered with uh you know the uh you know stages of drunkenness uh you know color theory the jungian archetypes of man yeah you know what are our references what are what are we hoping to uh, embody who are the people to fill this space why do these spaces work so all that goes into you know our our heads and then we try to find that within this scenario that we've created so but that all said we are at the mercy of what we documented but like you know like turner said i made light of it but it's like we did think this would be our easiest edit you know most of our edits are one year uh our first film had 500 hours of footage and that was a one-year edit this was the uh least amount of footage we ever had and it took two years because it was within four walls spatially there were issues you know you can't look at us and cut down to the other end of the bar see what's happening down there and then cut back to us and see those people behind us so spatially that becomes an issue creating an arc for 22 people within four walls creating payoffs to all those stories uh creating humor creating drama creating sadness getting at the undercurrent of what hopefully they are but you can't be uh, untrue to the light of, of the day, you know, of like who's in the bar, what music is on, you know, during the day it's the old timers. So it's a lot of like AM gold, 70, 60. Young people start coming in, you start getting Kendrick Lamar. You can't have a scene with Kendrick Lamar early in the day. So it was just this gigantic puzzle that was infuriating. And uh, we had 14 tracks of audio. So that was a whole done thing. Oh my God. So this was, this was, this was quite, uh, quite something. So I, I lived in terror for two years. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, take notes, just come back in, into the office, you know, at three in the morning because I thought I had something figured out, didn't have it figured out. It was, uh, yeah, until, until like the last month uh, before we, I think we figured it out, I was certain it, it didn't work. Yeah. But this is also our method. We, we, but that's always the case. We build a pile of notes until it's ready to fall over. And then we know that we're ready to work on something. We shoot and try things until until we know we've exhausted what we can try to capture. And then we sit down to edit. We get overwhelmed by what we've done and you realize that no matter what we set out to do, you have to hear what, what you said within the footage. Like what is speaking to you from within this? And while we may have arrived at our original intention, the, the many marathons that it takes in between to get to that all seem convoluted in the doing but yeah somehow magically we arrived back where that original intention was knowing that truth is a is a moving target truth is conditional truth is a lot of different things to a lot of different people 
is there something about watching people in a bar get drunker and speak more freely, more openly, more without the, the guardrails that's different than you and I talking about some particular subject that we're having uh, a discussion about to get to a truth? Is there something that you picked up in watching people go through this sort of transition that is different in sort of their truth as opposed to something other than that? Well, there's an inherent evolution of character with, without the, uh, the narrative construct is just something that we can understand as imbibing at a bar, spanning time, it is linear, but also drinking. And uh, while that may be a truth serum, it's also a bullshit serum. So the further you get along into it, uh, you could be telling tall tales, or you could be getting to something that is far more uh, guarded uh, than, than you would usually share with, uh, with, with normal people. That's the fascinating thing about a bar space. You know, you can go sit down and have a beer at, at an airport or a train station or in a town you don't know, and you can make a friend and tell them something that you might not tell somebody in your, in your normal periphery. That's fascinating. What is that? And is that not the best forum that for us that we could find at that time when we felt like people were having dissonance in the ways that they were communicating with each other? Well, let's, let's get in that space and see what we're all saying to each other. And we found that to be true as we found that to be true in our, in our personal lives. Bill, did there, was there some particular storyline that surprised you or some some kind of a thread of something in the film that people were talking about that, I don't know, maybe surprise isn't a good word, that illuminated something for you that you hadn't expected. Sure, I mean, so, so many of them, I, you know, people, the fact that people even took to the idea, the experiment was surprising and incredible. And, and as far as that went was, yeah, uh, unexpected. There were so many things that Michael brought to it that were just, I think we couldn't have expected. And he, he was really sort of the glue to the whole thing where he would motivate certain conversation situations and he knew where to push and pull. And he, he was really incredible. Um, and I think he's ultimately the reason the film works. I, I, I was going to bring him up again. Thank you for, uh, for that because uh, I thought Michael, uh, just what you said, he sort of, he frames a lot of the story. We see, you know, we, we see him come into the bar and clean up. This is a place where for him, this is home, it feels yeah. like in, in many ways. And he is, he is cagey about conversations. He knows when to push a button and when not to in the course of their conversations. And he brings subjects in, he brings in perspectives. To the, to the other conversations that he's a part of. Uh, and he also is, there's a bittersweet qu uh, quality to the fact that this is, this place is closing down. Where, where now, where is Michael going? So it leaves that little bit of that in, in, in that bittersweet quality to the film as well. So um, yeah, well, congratulations again. Um, can, I, can I say this, is this going to embarrass you if I say that according to Metacritic, you are the sixth most highly regarded filmmakers of the 21st century. <laughs> to be honest, I wouldn't know anything about it. <laughs> but thank you for well, that. Yeah, and, you I, know, yeah. it, it gives encouragement. <laughs> I, when I walk down the street, I don't, um, 
have any sense of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to thank both of you, uh, Bill Ross and Turner Ross, the directors, co-directors of the film Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. And thank you so much for finding some time to come back and join us again here on Film School Radio. Anytime, gentlemen, anytime you've got something, I, I would be honored to have you back on. Thanks, Mike. Same goes on our end. Thank you for yeah. considering us, spending time with us, and to, to all your viewers. You know, any any level of interest in what we're doing is a, is a success on our end. So, thank you so much for your time. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.